Do guitarists have conservative taste? Do they actually just want to play the very same guitars as the players they grew up watching, or at least guitars that look pretty much the same? Does the guitar world spend all of its time constantly looking back at the golden age of guitar rather than looking to the actual future of music? Some people will definitely answer yes to those questions, either happily or kind of regretfully admitting that the guitar world, from musicians to industry professionals to hobbyists, is a little bit stuck in its ways, at least at times. But if that is the case, then where do the innovators fit in? Because from musicians to professionals to hobbyists, there are plenty of people looking to break new ground and create something that we have not seen before, something very much made for the current moment or possibly even ahead of its time. There's a lot to take in there, but let's just look specifically at guitar makers. You spend a little bit of time online and you will probably come across the companies and individual luthiers creating more out there instruments and often doing so to plenty of acclaim and praise. It kind of begs the question, if the world of guitar is as conservative as some people say, and as we kind of sometimes think, what are these builders up to with their futuristic designs, non-standard materials, and just outright eccentric models? And there's not just one or two of them either. I mean, well, there are at least three of them, I guess, because in this episode, I'm actually going to talk to three builders who make really distinctive, really forward-thinking instruments, each in their own ways. But that's actually just scratching the surface. There are quite a few builders out there and some bigger companies as well, to some extent, really pushing the boundaries of guitar design. And builders are, like I say, actually just one part of this bigger push towards something new. So what's going on here? Is this just a niche within a niche or do these innovative guitar designers actually show us that many of the musicians of today and tomorrow really are looking for something different um, and something that they attach to their own creative expression rather than perhaps to the previous generations? It's not going to be all guitarists for sure, but maybe a notable number of them. And then I guess we've got to ask, who is the clientele for these builders anyway? If the guitar community does have more of a conservative taste, then why try to be an innovator in this space? Doesn't that just make things harder? Um, from the perspective of a designer and a builder, where is the guitar market and guitar making actually heading? I don't really know the answer to any of that, but luckily, like I say, I've had the pleasure of talking with three people who might at least have a better idea than me. Let's hold up for a moment before we dive into answering some of those questions, because there's a bit of an assumption in all of this. We're talking about innovative designs, but haven't really said what that means. Um, does it even make sense to say that? What makes a guitar innovative? Uh, well, that's another big question that's probably a whole podcast episode in itself that could go on forever, but let's just deal with it quickly here. It depends on a lot, right? It depends on the moment in time in which you're using the word. The Telecaster or Broadcaster was absolutely an innovative design in terms of simplicity and efficiency to mass manufacture it. Uh, it's kind of actually at the time straight up radical looks, even though that seems strange for us to say today. And it's innovative for really settling the recipe of a working man, solid body, electric guitar and all of that. But would we call it innovative today? probably only when specifically referring to it in that historical context. It was innovative rather than it is innovative when Fender roll another slight variation off the production line tomorrow. 
Then it's also relative. If an instrument hasn't changed in basic design in 300 years, a small change could be considered revolutionary. The electric guitar, on the other hand, has had a huge number of variants, just huge in terms of details like electronics and headless designs and even the number of strings in a relatively short time, at least relative to some other instruments. But the foundation remains the same. So at this point, how much actually needs to be innovated for it to be considered an innovative design? I mean, again, it's probably too much to answer all of that here. Really, we all just kind of navigate this on a vague sense that's almost instinctive. It's a bit like reacting positively or negatively to hearing a song for the first time. We might get into a debate later about what we think is great about it or not so good about it, but we also always have the anchor of that initial sense or feeling about it. It's similar here. Some guitars we just feel comfortable saying are more innovative or out there designs and others not, kind of even instantly on seeing them. But let's start there. Does it even make sense these days to make this distinction and think of some guitars as innovative and experimental on the one hand and some guitars as standard or more derivative on the other? Oh, yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. There, 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 is, there is like quite a few... Um builders that intentionally try to push things further in terms of you know uh design and aesthetics and uh, and details that can reshape the 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 guitar the guitar format so so yeah totally and there is there are all other people that just want to make telecaster which is fine i mean i love telecasters as well and uh everything everything is yeah there is no wrong answer to uh to how you want to make a, a guitar. That's Florian of Millimetric Instruments. Based out of Montreal, Millimetric offers really distinctive guitars that are inspired by minimalist design and also feature plenty of interesting appointments, including cool custom pickups and cool custom hardware. Now, Florian's first model, to give you an idea of the kind of stuff he does, the MG6 is designed to be so perfectly symmetrical right down to even the controls, that it's completely ambidextrous and works exactly as well for left-handers and right-handers with zero modification. Like anyone I feature on the podcast, I seriously recommend that you check out Florian's work. His designs are clear and decisive. His design philosophy feels as clear as those designs look right down to his logo and the photos he takes of the finished guitars. And so, Fittingly, perhaps, his answer shares that very same clarity here. Maybe when you have a sharp eye for the world of design, there is a stark difference between what's innovative and what's not. But let's get a second opinion. If we find another luthier who also has a clearly expressed design philosophy, a feel for things that are clear and consistent, that's expressed in their builds, and a strong foundation in design, but with a different background, their own unique approach to design and with that very different guitars, let's see if they have the same perspective on this as Florian does. My name is uh, Robin Stumpfeuer. I'm from Kassel and um, I'm building guitars out of uh, sheet metal, or that's probably the core feature of them, uh, with attachable pickups that hold themselves via their magnets on the, on the metal surface. And then you can uh, move them to any place you would like and even can hold it in your hands and uh, explore different timbres of your of your electric guitar. So that's the basic basic thing for the musician and also for me as a builder. It's a pretty simple way to to build guitars. And um, 
I do that since 2017. When you hear folded sheet metal, the idea of something very industrial and stark and grey might come to mind, but you couldn't be further from the Verso world. Robin's guitars are as elegant as any carved mahogany maple combo you're going to find out there, and they have a really distinctly poppy feel to them, combined with the chic, minimal, unfussy and common sense design elements that make them not only easy on the eye, but with a really, really strong sense of the now or near future about them. And it's not just the looks either, with movable pickups and these other interesting features, Robin's guitars definitely strike me as innovative. But does he share Florian's clear distinction when it comes to innovative and non-innovative designs? So I think it makes sense to um, talk about something being innovative or um, experimental, but I would say it's not a good idea to to kind of like separate guitars in, in different um, blocks of uh, like that use of being um, something that can be used for experimental music or to standard music. I think that's that's the wrong uh, idea in, in many things, not only guitars, but also in uh, kind of humanity <laughs> or uh, everything. So making those kinds of binary distinctions is always going to be problematic. But what Robin and Florian have in common is the pretty common sense idea that there are clearly innovative designs that we can all point to and agree on are innovative, and that there is some way in which these stand out to us in the world of guitars and guitar music. It makes a lot of sense, really. Uh, while Millimetric and Verso make very different guitars, they both come at the instrument from a design perspective, and both have a great interest and background in design. Florian of Millimetric was studying graphic design when he first started tinkering with guitars, so the two things actually married together in a fairly natural way, and he later built minimalist and Scandinavian furniture as part of training in cabinet making. Robin of Verso has his experience in product design, and his skills are apparent beyond the guitars themselves when you look at the photographs and the visuals of Verso musical instruments. It's kind of maybe not surprising that from that kind of perspective and background, innovation can be picked out and that innovative designs like those of Melometric and Verso can emerge. But there's another side to the world of guitar design that I see as creating some of the wildest and most experimental instruments that most challenge the basic archetypes of guitar design. Rather than coming from a background of design, be it industrial or graphic or commercial or whatever, this other side of experimental or innovative guitar making comes from a more artistic perspective with builders who are at least somewhat opposed to this classic idea that the guitar is a tool and it's the player that then creates the art. These builders see luthiery as an expressive form of creation in and of itself, though I guess one that's pretty uniquely placed in that it creates art that's then used to create other art. You might hear expressions like playable art being used in this realm to refer to the instruments. Now, when it came to getting a word in from that perspective, one builder instantly came to mind for me, because as well as building some of the most stunning, out there, overtly artistic, and frankly crazy instruments that I've ever seen, he's also made plenty of guitars for musicians, which are more straightforward music-making tools, but that still employ innovative looks and specs, which are tweak to better suit those musicians and their work. I'm talking about Leo Lospinato, 
originally from Argentina, Leo's been making his extraordinary guitars and also teaching courses in guitar design and guitar building in Berlin for a good while now. And as time goes on, each of his builds pushes further and further into this idea of a guitar as a work of art in itself. From Picasso to steampunk to skyscrapers to stealth fighter jets, Leo's approach to guitar making goes way beyond just being inspired by the things around him. I mean, at this point, I'm not sure if there's a thing in existence, be it fictional or real, that wouldn't potentially inspire a new outlandish Los Bonato instrument. I mean, it's pretty crazy. And he's also a good guy to talk to because he didn't just write the book on guitar and bass design. He also wrote the book on making and marketing them too. So coming from this quite different perspective, how does Leo see the world of guitar makers? Does it make sense to talk about a clear split between innovative designs on the one hand and standard designs on the other? And I guess on top of that, does Leo view his own designs as innovative? The answer to both questions is yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, innovation is one of my design goals. Um, I mean, I am not trying to revolutionize the guitar world or anything like that. Um, and I recognize there are uh, guys, independent luthiers and small firms, uh, who are working on innovative things uh, who are awesome, like, I don't know, optical pipe pickups or, or things mm. like that, you know. Um, but... Um, but yes, I am uh, innovative in an artistic sense, you know. Uh, you know, I, I call my, my guitars sculptors, which are um, uh, half guitars, half sculptures. <laughs> so they are sculptors, mm. <laughs> you know. Mm, yeah. um, I, I am not trying to make all guitars in the world obsolete or anything like that. My search is aesthetic, is um, is artistic, you could say. I am uh, a bit uh, old-fashioned in that way. I'm trying to go for originality and beauty. And, and, and I, I want to create the wow factor, you know, and the person to, to, who sees one of my guitars, like, okay, I, what is that? I need that guitar. <laughs> That's the effect mm -hmm. I want to, to go for. Um, so it makes sense to think about guitar designs as derivative um, and experimental. Sure. Yes, yes. Coming from very different approaches to guitar building, we're seeing this idea of there being designs that are clearly innovative. We're also going some way towards answering the question of what counts as innovation when it comes to guitar design. Because while things like electronics or pickups do come into the picture, like with Robin's movable pickups as an example, the thing that most clearly defines a guitar as an innovative one at this point in time seems to be its distinctly different overall design, the body shape and aesthetics. But Leo also introduces, interestingly, a new divide to consider when thinking about who exactly is creating the innovative designs these days? The innovation is coming from the small guys, you know. Mm. It's the independent luthiers who are pushing the boundaries of the guitar designs because the big companies, they are milking the cow, you know. Um, mm. you, in particular, the two, the two classical examples, Stratocasters and Les Pauls, you know. Um, I, love, I love them both, of course, uh, but mm -hmm. they have become ubiquitous, you know. And the paradox or, or the, the, the irony, let's say better, is that they were, uh, back in the 50s, they were, they powered the rebel spirit of rock and roll, you know. Fast forward to the 2000s and we see that every mainstream musician, every pop star, every person playing out there has a Stratocaster or a Les Paul hanging from their necks, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, talking about innovation or the lack thereof, uh, 
you know, every model they launch is like a reissue or is the same Stratocaster or Paula painted it in a different color or endorsed by a new rock star this time around. I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's a sea of uniformity driven by business. And in that sea of uniformity, me, me my example and my colleagues, uh, independent luthier, small builders, uh, I think that we, tr we, we have to differentiate ourselves, you know, uh, and the key is innovation. Of course, Leo isn't saying that all the innovation comes from the smaller guys and all the same old, same old comes from the bigger guys. I mean, that's a point that was already complicated by Florian when he pointed out that many smaller builders focus on tweaking or recreating golden era guitars. I mean, there's a fairly sizable market for that amongst smaller companies and individual builders. There are actually quite a few interesting things that came up regarding Gibson, Fender, and their classic designs in these conversations with these luthiers. Um, but I mean, that's a whole other conversation that could be a whole big podcast episode all of its own. I think one thing that's worth pointing out is that uh, all of the luthiers I spoke to for this episode and that I featured on the podcast before and all the time definitely break that, I think, idea that smaller builders do not necessarily like or look favorably upon Gibson and Fender and are negative about them. Um, actually, I found whether they're builders who are making something that is closer to classic guitar designs or whether they are builders like the ones featured in this episode who make stuff that is going a, quite a long way away from those classic designs. They all have a huge amount of reverence for, love for, and respect for Fender, Gibson, the classic designs, all the classic companies, and that's something that I find very consistent. But for now, let's, without going into that, just stick with the point that Leo's making here, which is one that also came up across my conversations with these three builders, which is this. While Leo makes clear that it is still a tough ask for small luthiers to convince people of their original designs in such a sea of uniformity as the guitar market can be, at this point in time, it's kind of a little easier in some ways for smaller builders to take the risk of pursuing wild designs and experimental builds. If you're only intending to sell that one-off custom piece or find a relatively small yet steady interest in your line of non-conformist models to make your experimenting worth it, that's plausible. I mean, it's tough, but it's doable. But when any new model has to find hundreds or thousands of new players to buy it each year in order to cover mass production costs or to please investors, that's very risky business, especially if things become, well, so experimental that they're almost certain to become niche or limited in appeal to some extent. That applies really to anything, not just to guitars. And so it brings us to our central question. While, as Robin points out, it can be problematic to make such clear binary divisions about really anything. It's also clear that there are some distinctly innovative designs in the world of guitar today and some distinctly standard ones and that both do find a place. So if the prevalence of more standard guitars is really more down to business and risk evaluation than taste or simply how the world works, most of us go for what's familiar, what's tried and tested, what's popular, comfortable and low risk over experimental in most cases, then is it really fair to call the guitar world conservative or stuck in its ways? I guess a good place to start with this, seeing as there is a place for millimetric and verso and 
Los Bernardo guitars and others, there must be a decent number of players who want something different. So, I guess we could start with, who are these players? Are they really a separate group from the musicians playing strats and Les Pauls? You have to segment your customers. You, you have, for example, on one way you have, um, um, roughly speaking, you have the beginner musician, typically a, a young person who starts uh, playing guitar and wants the model he sees everywhere or the guitar model that he sees his guitar hero playing. And uh, in, if possible, they want the affordable version of that instrument, mm. like a Strat knockoff or something like that, uh, which is totally right, totally okay, because they have to buy a guitar according to their level of proficiency, to their level mm. of, 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 of also of budget, you know. Mm. Then you have the professional musician, and then things get more interesting because you have the a person who is also selling themselves. They are selling their music, their music, their, their 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 own art, and they have to differentiate in a sea, another sea of uniformity of musicians playing the same guitars. And a, and a special guitar can differentiate you from your concurrence, can make you uh, visually and tonally different, you know. Mm. And uh, that's of course, once you get very famous, you will be endorsed by one of the big guys and you will be playing Alice Paul <laughs> or a Stratocaster. <laughs> but in the meantime, a, a, an unusual guitar will contribute to that uh, individuality of, of, of your artistic uh, uh, personality, you know. Mm. Um, and then you have a, an interesting kind of customer, which is the one I point to, which is the collector. And by collector, I don't mean a guy who has 100 guitars, but the, the, the guy who, who loves guitars, guitars almost more than playing guitar. Mm. You know, they, they, they are loved with the instrument. The guy who has three, four guitars or more. This person is a, is a true guitar lover in a way, and they are looking for something special. You know, they're the same guitar that everyone has. It's, it's not going to make it, you know. Um, but it's an evolution, you know. It's not that they are, three kinds of different customers, they are the same customer in different phases of their uh, guitar life, you know? Mm. Because you, you start, you, you, your, your first guitar is never a, a Pacelli or a Teufel or a Los Penato. Your first guitar is a Squire, you know? And then eventually you buy the, the, the real Fender. And then eventually you arrive at a, 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 a specialty, <laughs> a special <laughs> guitar or something like that. Um, a, a luthier made guitar is never a one size fits all. It's a guitar mm. made for you. It's a, it's, a, it's made to measure, you know. So yeah, so yeah, it's it's, it's an evolution of, of 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 you as a customer, and, and definitely to answer the question, there is people who want something special. Absolutely, yeah. So Leo outlines a kind of chronology or journey for the player, and it's one that I think we can all relate to in different ways. We all start off just kind of wanting a guitar want to start playing and some of us even keep that kind of attitude throughout their guitar playing life you can see with some bedroom players some cover band players some professional players of all different kinds i mean for all that i love the possibilities of guitars and guitar design i actually kind of put myself in that camp uh, at least to a big extent i've always been happy just having whatever guitar and i like to explore and with and play pretty much whatever's available that's still largely true for me but others do evolve and become much more discerning players and much more discerning artists that need something that reflects their presentation for example or even 
their stage show or the look of things for their band or for how they do live performances, which actually reminds me specifically of some of Leo's builds for artists. While some professionals become ultra discerning in terms of specs or need such an odd specific feature that off the shelf simply won't cut it, while others become this kind of collector that Leo also outlines. This array of different types of players might explain why there's such a diverse field of innovative guitar makers out there right now finding people interested in their work. But there are also a few other types of player at the end of this journey who are really looking for something different in their instrument. One thing that that um, connects them all, the, the people that bought my guitars, are is that they are um, very, very open-minded. And um, yeah, I think that that is also true for their musical spirit. Like they they tend to to write their own music and not to perform only, but but they are mostly writers. I think that's that's one common thing. But not not everybody. And uh, the other thing is that. That some or or many of them are interested in design in general, so um, they can be collectors. But I have m many many players that are using it in, in in their writing writing process and also live. So yeah, and different genres. It's it's um, all over the place. I, I'd say it's usable in in any kind of genre. Maybe not the the hardest ones like metal or so, but um, it's very versatile. Personality is an obvious factor. Some people are just more drawn to what's kind of different, but it's interesting that this also syncs up with or comes out in their approach to music as well. And that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes someone with a more open approach to music would probably be more likely to search out a guitar with something a little different on offer. And it seems those players are definitely out there, given Florian's similar experiences with millimetric players. But it's still definitely not for everyone. Most of my clientele is very design oriented. I've seen a few players that plays live, and I have bands, and uh, they were uh, they were saying like, "Yeah, I I like your guitars, but I don't know if I could play that on stage. I don't know if visually it fits." And I I I kind of I kind of agree. Like uh, it, it if. There, there are look there are guitars that, that that looks like different, and you have to be comfortable, you know, playing with it. It's interesting that the look of the guitar fitting or not fitting with the look or the vibe of music that someone is playing can be a deciding factor, and that that seems to come up more than tone. But as Florian, Robin, and Leo all point out, you can really play virtually anything on virtually any guitar. I mean. That's just how it is, and I think it's another reason that we come back again and again to aesthetics as a defining factor in innovative guitar design at this point in time over tonal considerations. And as Florian acknowledges here, that means that the guitar that looks really innovative just can't be the right choice for some people. Yeah, that is interesting though. I hadn't even realized that was kind of like a stereotype, but in my head, I I I don't automatically envision someone in like a, a covers band or a wedding house band or any of these sorts of things using mm. a guitar with a yeah. a more kind of fresh or innovative design. You instantly imagine them with like a 
a Strat or a Les Paul. I, I wonder how much of that <laughs> is personality and how much is yeah. like practical decision making. Like you, you know that you're playing a lot of songs with, that were recorded on those guitars, so you use those guitars. It's interesting. Yeah, and also my guitars look very, um, they're, they're very poppy in their appearance. So many, many people mm -hmm. like the idea of um, standing out on a crowd. But um, I, I don't think that's the, the first, uh, the first thing they, they're making the choice of buying my guitars. Yeah, yeah. Just came to my mind because you, you spoke of the, um, performers like like someone performing on a wedding and uh, performing the the songs we all know i think uh, maybe these are more looking towards the the appeal or the their appearance with the instrument and others others don't so uh, me personally uh, that's not something i <laughs> i was thinking about while designing it <laughs> So the innovative guitar might be for those who are concerned with how they can stand out aesthetically, but it can also be for those who are so unconcerned with aesthetics and looks that something looking wildly different doesn't bother them, as long as they enjoy it, and they don't need to appeal to a look from the past. There's something kind of surprising in all of this, right? Because for all that absolutely you can play virtually any music on any guitar, different guitars do definitely get pigeonholed into or associated with or even just marketed to specific genres, and those stereotypes do tend to hold. But when it comes to innovative or experimental designs, this doesn't seem to quite apply from what we've heard so far. I mean, Robin touches on the idea that the musician's overall approach seems to have a say in them being drawn to more innovative guitars and... Both Robin and Florian make clear that for musicians, playing certain music, like classic rock covers was the example just there, having a guitar that looks different can actually be a big no-go. But what about genre or style of music as a factor for being attracted to out there designs? I don't have a lot of uh, big players on uh, that, that I sold guitar to, but um, the ones that, that, play, that play them are in a style of music that is quite fitting mm. like um uh Dave Nutson from Minus the Bear or yeah. um uh, Alessandro Cortini from Nine Inch Nails mm. that mm. you know that, that that's kind of like modern music like um I I mean you get, you can play anything on, on my guitars I don't I don't <laughs> I'm not. I'm not making a judgment, but uh, for sure, like I, with the music that I listen to, I, I kind of envision people playing my guitars. Like I would love for uh, Saint Vincent to have one of my guitars on stage for sure, because mm. I think it's quite fitting. Uh, it's more so for uh, with the previous albums, uh, but mm. or like bands like uh, Battles. Uh, I don't know, very, very like uh, modernistic music in, in, in a way. Florian and me actually went on to talk for quite a while about how the genre and scene that a guitarist is in can have an effect in all of this and how innovative guitars might match with certain scenes. And that kind of also links up with some practical considerations. The whole conversation actually got me thinking quite a lot both in terms of the impact of scene and the more practical elements that come into this kind of got me thinking about 
some big innovations that we've seen in the past to see how rather than just solely looking at the innovation of guitar design today, how that can link up with more of a historical, longer historical context of innovation with electric guitars. It got me thinking of things like uh, EVH always tinkering with his guitars and that came out of a dissatisfaction of guitars not really being able to do all of the things that he wanted a guitar to do and needed a guitar to do to keep up and match up with his playing, even just something that now we would take for granted, like having a guitar with a strong, decent output sounding kind of humbucker with a Floyd Rose. Um, obviously that came later, but just even having any kind of tremolo, that wasn't something that was available to him. And he went out there and tried to find it. Maybe also kind of got me thinking about Steve Vai and how he played a Strat back in the Zappa days and felt like that wasn't really able to get what he wanted out of it as a guitar. It didn't create the sounds he needed to and didn't enable him or let him play what he knew he wanted to play in terms of more out there playing um, on the guitar and things that were more experimental and pushing the boundaries of playing a little bit more in the specific ways that he wanted to. Um, and so how both players set out to find something different and then did and in that way contributed to guitar design going forward and EVH even then on was never really satisfied and the history and legacy of his company was continually pushing that and continually tweaking and working their new designs to try and push the boundaries and it was all based upon more practical considerations of things that they wanted to achieve um, tonally which as I've said is something that maybe doesn't link up as much today. But I think within that, there's two really strong links in terms of one, there were practical considerations with how they wanted to push the boundaries of playing. And if you think about some of the names that have come up and some of the names that Florian just threw out there and talking about modernist bands, innovative instruments seem to match with those bands, possibly in terms of their just sort of philosophy of pushing the boundaries. But there's also a grounding in this more practical element of needing an instrument that maybe has something's different about it that works specifically with your playing. There's also then point number two, which is notably and really clearly both EVH and Steve Vai, when they kind of went about reinventing the guitar for themselves and for their playing with what they wanted to achieve in mind, they both massively made an aesthetic statement with their guitars. They made guitars that looked very distinctly different and were extremely eye-catching. And part of that is within the scene at the time and the kind of style of the guitar playing and the era they were in. But I also think that there's a bit of a link there with what we're talking about in terms of guitars who are really pushing the boundaries out there and being bold and brazen without their playing seem to link up well some of the time absolutely not always but some of the time with guitars that are out there in terms of their aesthetic design as well and talking with florian we kind of got into all of this um, and it's interesting just to see how it naturally linked up in the course of our conversation so with all of that in mind we're getting an idea of the kinds of guitarists that are drawn to newer and more out there designs generally speaking. I mean, with a pretty wide range of things that can lead to a player seeking out these instruments with something different, it does suggest that there really is at least a strong current of openness and non-conservative taste amongst players. But how strong is it exactly? Presenting at shows like NAMM, meeting with players both interested and maybe not so interested in their instruments, and just 
working in the guitar world, what's the direct experience of these three builders been like? Have they found that the guitar world is actually overall conservative in its tastes? I was I was pretty scared at first when I when I launched the the guitar because I heard of the conservative guitarists, and um, mm. then I I, um, I was pretty positively um, struck by the the, um, the 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 feedback I received from from everyone kind of like uh, the feedback was very positive and. Uh, not conservative at all so i uh the, the interest was very high and i think there's some kind of shift towards new music maybe not the the electric guitar is so deeply connected to rock music and uh acdc stuff like you you're hitting that <laughs> solo and sweating your <laughs> sweating on the, on the on the stage and i think that shifts pretty much to uh, to something we we um, the the future brings, I think it's it's more towards hip hop and more towards uh, shores like neo soul and jazz mm. and stuff. And I think these are way more open to uh, new designs and less conservative in terms of like you you need that stra Stratocaster for playing Mark Knopfler or Jimi Hendrix or so. It's not it's not even a consideration I think for those people. I think it's nothing but positive to hear that someone moving into the guitar space found it more open-minded and welcoming of their work than they'd expected. And I agree with Robin's theory that this openness is related to changing musical tastes more than just uh, evolving tastes in guitars. Some genres have a stronger association with certain guitars and vice versa. Being drawn to classic guitars can have really more to do with powerful connections that we feel with certain music, particularly that I guess that we discovered in teenage or younger years, than with a conservative taste. And so with lots of guitarists feeling a sense of connection to those genres over the decades, those guitars remain the staples that are pretty hard to move away from. And uh, in terms of attachment and that's also in terms of practical considerations. For example, like you want a Strat to play this music that's inspired by guys who played Strats. That's kind of just the sound in my head. That could be the case. And these tastes, what guitars become iconic or almost mythical, what we're drawn to, what gear we think we need, this all comes from the music and the musicians at the heart of it. So what Robin says makes a lot of sense to me. This growing sense of openness doesn't come just from guitar gear world itself, but I'd argue from the decline of a fixed idea of guitar music. That's something that I've gone on about a lot on this podcast in past episodes. It's the exciting future that's opening up from guitar not being so strongly associated just with certain genres or certain periods in certain ways, but being a truly prominent instrument in so many different ways across a huge spectrum of varied and also really importantly newly emerging styles of music. There's then, I think, a convergence between the musicians and the makers who are both 
coming at things from another perspective. And they're coming at it without such a strong sense of these old attachments between certain instruments and certain music and certain points in time, or even coming to guitar with a deliberate intention to break from those old connections. I mean, it's it's very interesting to me that the guitar is very unique in that in that sense because almost any other instrument is very um, very open in its in its use and not not connected to personalities and in, in in the way the guitar is. Like if you think of a piano, it's it's a black box. You can play any kind of music on it. It's not something you you see Beethoven uh, ripping off. Yeah, <laughs> I, I don't know. It's it's so uh, it's so strange that this. I mean, I, I sure know why why that is because of of the the history of pop culture and it has so many um, social um, social connections mm. to to the instrument. And uh, that was one one big task for me to kind of like design something that, uh, or I tried to I tried to design something um, that loses a bit of the connection of of the past, like like in terms of 50s style. I mean, almost every guitar looks like 50s, 60s, 70s, maybe, or they're completely alien, like an a Steinberg or. Mm. Um, uh, Alan Gittler guitar and uh, it's pretty tough to find something in between that that you immediately connect with like I love Uli Teufel's uh, Birdfish for example but many many see it as a very strange instrument with with the headless design and uh, I tried to to design something that anybody also uh, not guitar players kind of connect in a in a in a modern sense mm. like you you see it's it's made in these days, but it's still a guitar on, on first sight. If we're entering one of those points where a sizable number are clearly trying to break from those established connections in the world of guitar, then particularly these days with so many cultural pockets and growing subgenres and different types of music and fusions and digital spaces where if you can imagine it, you could probably find it, that should all also mean that there are plenty of guitarists who want or need something distinctly different, at least in numbers large enough for smaller workshops and lone luthiers to be satisfied by, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah, and uh, I think uh, my brand is kind of the proof that people want something different. And uh, it's just that uh, guitar companies, like bigger guitar companies, uh, don't want to take that much risk. But mm -hmm. it, like brands like Fender, like they 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 try they try some they try stuff, you know. They do like the yeah. alternate universe uh, models, yeah. And you know, it's still a Fender, but they try to uh, to to push. I think there is a, there really is uh, a, a big market for for uh, different different guitar shapes. Like there, as much as there is a lot of uh, conservative players. There are people who are looking for different guitar shapes, for sure. When you look at the world of music right now, I think this theory holds up. While there's still this idea that tends to hold that it's a little harder for the very biggest guys to go wild on innovation, it's really not just the smaller guys that are pushing the boundaries, and it's not just a niche audience that's wanting more of this. We have such an insane array of 
new musical directions and styles and communities and spaces that in confluence with that, aside from the more experimental offerings from Fender that Florian's mentioning there, we've got medium and small to medium companies that are also really pushing things to meet those communities. From Tosin Abasi's guitars and plenty of work in the world of extended range, multi-scale, heavier genre players, to the more out there designs from Music Man, these fresh guitars have found really sizable fan bases and plenty of keen players out there. And again, I don't think it's a coincidence that the first examples that come to my mind, Abasi Concepts, St. Vincent's guitar, Omar Rodriguez Lopez's Mariposa, come directly from work with artists who push musical boundaries with their playing. And I mean, then you could go on to Matt Bellamy of Muses built in electronics or models from Manson guitars, or maybe even the microtonal guitar experimentation of King Gizzard fits in here. I mean, that's obviously getting away from the world of small luthiers there, but the point is that these are hardly obscure bands that are getting inspired by more out there instruments. That said, it's always worth tempering any idea that we're entering a totally frenzied age of experimentation, musically or in terms of design. Because while there are all of us players who are drawn to innovative designs, there are also plenty of us who just want to hear the classic hits. And that means in both music and guitar design, it's still hard to be the little guy with the big, fresh ideas, at least until you find your people. Uh, my experience is that guitar players are a bit conservative. They are a bit conservative. Um, uh, bass, bass players are less conservative. Bass mm. players are, are willing to take more risks regarding new shapes or innovative technologies and they can see. But guitar players, they like their 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 classic models, their the, the vintage tone and these kind of things. I think, of course, there are others that there are a few ones who buy my guitars, <laughs> not, not just, <laughs> so um, not, not, your, not your regular uh, shapes and your regular models, but mm. yes, they are a bit conservative, yes, yes. In, in fact, this is, the, this is, the, this is our, our most difficult part of the business, you know, to compete against companies who have been selling the same guitar model for, for decades now, you know, and you were, you're trying to, 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 yeah, to to sell something that has some originality in it, but not 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 every not everyone welcomes the, that, that guitar. Some some special people has uh, the, the sensibility to do it, but not everyone. Yeah, the fact that bass players are more open than guitarists to new designs in general is something I've actually heard from a lot of builders and companies that make both guitars and basses. You know, it's maybe an interesting topic or a tangent for another day that could shed some light on this one, but. In what Florian and Leo have said, there's that cycle again. We all want the classics, so that's what the big guys market, including the younger players, so that's what we grow up to buy and play, and so it goes on. When it comes to innovation, many are open to it, perhaps a growing number, perhaps more than ever, but many others are still not just that interested, and this also does seem to still hold true. There's also another very practical reason that so many of us decide to go for the same old designs rather than the luthier with the crazy new build. We need the safe bet. We have to deal with the fact that 
usually musicians are not the wealthiest people and uh, to buy a new instrument they want to buy something that they they are sure they're gonna like for for years to come or usually the the uh, the more innovative uh, designs are made by uh, people like smaller companies like 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 me or uh, or you know uh, other other luthiers and uh, usually it's i i know it's not uh, affordable to 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 anyone you know i try to keep my prices the lowest possible i can to be able to you know offer guitars to a musician that uh, that one that one different stuff at a price that is not like uh, you know 10 grand or 15 grand i think that there is uh that's the 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 the, um, the thing you have to deal with so we've got emotional and cultural connections that we all have with certain types of guitar we've got practical considerations we've got weighing the risks of an unknown we've got potentially the cost of that unknown too if it's a pricey a custom build we've got our own personal tastes we've got what's marketed at us uh, we've got what the guitar business is kind of set up to push at us and i think on top of all of that there's uh, one final consideration that can also be decisive in us not going down the path of a more out there guitar even if we would be so inclined in terms of our tastes I mean, also the thing is, uh, you you go with what's available. And I remember uh, back in when when I when I really di- d- uh, dived into guitar, I was it was in twenty oh five oh six, and by then, if you wanted a, a guitar that looked different and that was affordable. It was pretty pretty hard to find something, even even Jazzmaster at the time weren't that uh, readily available. Like there weren't Squires, there weren't even Fender uh, was only making an American version, but th- there was no Mexican version. So I, w- I I think I was not in the <laughs> in the right age to be to be uh, having uh, weirdo guitars. Now now it's great, but uh, when I started, it was it was not so so easy. The picture emerges for me of a community that doesn't really have a conservative event so much. In fact, guitarists of all levels are kind of obsessed with finding their own special thing. I mean, just a look at the way people try to sell us stuff, right? Adverts are always completely filled with cliches about find your tone or the sound in your head, now in your hands and all this kind of stuff. The individualistic, kind of contrarian, slightly egomaniacal character is baked pretty thoroughly into a lot of guitar culture more broadly, which kind of makes sense if you look at the prototypical guitar hero. It's not so much a community stuck on the same old thing, but a community of people wanting their own thing themselves, just with strong attachments to instruments that still also make a lot of practical sense. The classic designs are completely versatile and only form one part of the instrument when you factor in amps, pedals, and all sorts of digital fun nowadays. So put the classics through all manner of contemporary rigs and you can still get any sound you desire, really. It's not hard to make the music of the future with a guitar from the past. It's a point Leo put well to me when explaining that his focus on the aesthetic was so important in terms of innovation because if a guitar is well built, you'll most likely be able to get any of the sounds you want out of it 
And that's why so many innovations on the guitar come elsewhere at this point in time, perhaps, with small innovative tweaks for tone and playability coming just here and there. The wild tonal innovations are potentially more sought in the world of analog electronics and definitely digital wizardry now than on the guitar itself. But in the world of music, there are people who really want something different for all sorts of reasons. And there are also people in these musical spaces that aren't so strongly attached to the classic instruments or the music that was made with them. This sometimes makes them more likely in that same search for their sound or their thing to end up in wilder places with more innovative designs. These spaces, these musical environments, can even end up with their own set of classics over time. I mean, uh, look at the way that the prolific use of offset models by garage bands and kind of rock subgenre legends in the late 20th century has led to a really strong attachment between those sorts of genres and those sorts of guitars. Isn't playing indie on a jazz master as much a classic choice as playing blues rock on a Strat or a Les Paul at this point in time? I mean, we're talking 30 years ago or more to go back to the roots of some of these connections at this point. That's retro. That might even be vintage. With a potentially less clearly defined mainstream and an incomprehensible number of simultaneous countercultures, musical directions, and creative communities that sometimes barely even interact with one another. What you have more and more is a musical environment in which a spectrum of innovative designs makes maybe more sense than ever. This still, at least in the very near future, remains mostly associated with relatively small areas in this lay of the land. But since the very beginning of the electric guitar, there's been a near constant output of designs thought totally wild and weird at the time, which have gone on to find a more welcoming home than anyone ever expected. Perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when creative people are drawn to things out of the ordinary. And perhaps we shouldn't be surprised when the guitar world really isn't that old fashioned. There's also that word relatively, because while the place for innovative design may seem, for the most part, relatively small, that means relative to the big behemoth guitar companies. In reality, that means plenty of spaces for innovative instrument design to flourish in, and plenty of players looking for something new that speaks to and inspires them. I hope you've enjoyed this first episode in the new format for the Guitar Blah Blah podcast. It's a bit of a change up from the old format, but it really lets us kind of dive deep on some of these topics and really get to hear from a bunch of cool people doing really interesting stuff and also get a bit of a flavor of their work across while we're talking about whatever subject we're doing a deep dive on. I will say though that the conversations with each of these guys were just really, really interesting and there was so much more that we went on to talk about. We didn't just stick with the stuff on innovative design, although there was a lot more that I couldn't fit into this episode. I mean, it's already way too long, right? <laughs> Hopefully you don't think that, but there was so much more that I wanted to get in and couldn't get in. They, they, so much interesting stuff from the, the three different perspectives here. Um, and then we went on and they were all very generous with their time and 
and talked about a whole bunch of stuff to do with music and guitars, which I think anyone tuning into a long guitar podcast like this would find really interesting. So what I will be doing over the next couple of weeks is I will be individually releasing the full conversations with each of the Luthiers featured in this episode so that you guys can also check that out and they really go a bit deeper into their work and what inspires them and a bit more on their perspective on guitar building from a whole bunch of angles. Again, some design stuff, but also going way beyond that and, and their history with guitar a little bit as well and, and going beyond that. So loads of really interesting stuff in all those conversations. Um, there are a couple of things I hinted at in, in the episode as well about uh, kind of interesting things that they analyzed out of the guitar world and the music world that we just didn't have time to go off on all those tangents in the episode without it just being a complete mess. But um, really interesting stuff that I think you guys will enjoy. So look out for that. Um, those will be coming over the next couple of weeks. Like I say, each of the full length interviews with uh, each Luthier. Um, I say interviews, they're kind of just more, they just turn into like conversations where we're just two people blabbering on about guitar stuff it's 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 going to be good i think like i say if you're tuning into a long guitar podcast like this there's tons of stuff in there that they say that's that's really interesting and insightful um so with that i do need to say a massive thank you to each of the luthiers uh who were so generous with their time and uh, willing to give the new format of the podcast a shot as well which was a bit of an unknown for them but very very cool that they were up for it. So a massive thank you to Florian of Millimetric Instruments in Montreal. A massive thank you to Robin of Verso Musical Instruments in Kassel, which is in Germany. And a big thank you to Leo Los Bernato Guitars, also in Germany, but in Berlin. Uh, really, really do seriously recommend that you check out their work. I mean, it will just blow your mind. Um, checking out all three of them in one day will be really cool, actually, to really see all the different directions that the three of them go in and all the ground that they cover between them. It's, it's kind of mind-blowing, actually. Uh, it gives you a real taste of all the stuff we were talking about in this episode, like uh, kind of how much stuff is opening up in the guitar world and, and kind of all the different directions. It feels like music and and, and the water guitar is going in. Um, yeah, really, really, really cool to see that. Um, yeah, so as well as just giving them a bit of a plug here, uh, I will make that easier by putting uh, a bunch of links in the description below. I'll get as many in there as I can, you know, Instagram, Facebook, websites, uh, to make it easier, depending on whichever network you're on or not on or whatever you prefer. Um, they all have really cool website setups as well with tons of pictures and information, which is great. Um, so I'm going to link all of that in the description down below. Like I say, I really, really hope that you enjoyed the episode in this new format. And um, I also hope that you'll check out and listen to the full-length interviews that I did with each Luthier coming over the next couple of weeks. These episodes, of course, take a little bit longer to make, so it, it means there's a little bit of a gap between each of them. Not as long as the last gap before. That was me sorting out uh, how I wanted to do the new format and everything. Now I've done the first episode. be a little bit quicker than that, I swear. But yeah, they'll take a little while to get me to do them. Um, it depends on multiple people's schedules that I'm, that I'm going to get an interview in each episode and um, uh, as well as, as all the sort of general work that goes into it. But um, there will be more of these form of these episodes in this format coming up as well as releasing those longer form interviews because I think a lot of people really like that and you get a lot from the, the kind of nitty gritty and deep dive of that kind of relaxed, unstructured conversation. I love that as well. So putting that out there with, with each episode as I go as well. So yeah, stay tuned for all of that. Thank you so much for 
being patient if you've been following this podcast because yeah it's a bit of a wait sorry about that um so massive thank you for for checking out the the new format episode um have a good one play a bunch of guitar and i'll catch you in the next episode Mm -hmm.